and share lifers. Welcome to the reading of noise. This week we are reading part two of the 10th chapter titled The Distraction of Civilian Affairs. Last week in part one, we discussed how everyday living distracts the believer from what's truly important, spending time with God. And not because everyday tasks and duties are not important, but while focusing on our lives and all that comes with living, we must remember who it is we honor with our lives and that this life is not only carnal, but spiritual. And it is our relationship with Jesus that we must ultimately be living for and he we should want to please each and every day. If this is your first time here, I encourage you to start at the beginning. The first nine chapter readings can be found on my channel. Playlist is titled Noise, or you can listen to them on my podcast. So now, thank you for joining me as we continue reading Noise. Starting on page 90, the subtitle is Loving My Spouse and Loving God. That's where we'll be beginning. Perhaps one of the strongest pulls on us as human beings is tending to the needs of another human being who mean a lot to us. We are made to love and to be loved. And for many, expressing love comes in the form of being there and doing things with and for those whom we love. It's our way of telling them, I love you. However, this noise to please and to serve those we love may not get as loud as other noises, yet the pull on us can be very strong. When it comes to our spouses, one of our joys is to love them unconditionally. And that means being there for them, to listen, to give advice, to protect, to provide for, to comfort. And sometimes loving unconditionally means just sitting quietly with that person. It's all a part of being human, all a part of loving someone else. But how many of us get caught up in serving and being there for our spouse that we unconsciously, I hope it's not consciously, put our spouse before the Lord? We feel that their every need, their every want and desire must be met. And we may go out of our way to meet those needs, wants and desires, even if it means sometimes passing up that time, which we usually spend with God. There are those who believe that their spouse and God are ranked on the same level in terms of priority. They feel that it is scripturally based to hold that belief. But the truth is, if you're a Christian, God should be first in your life with your spouse down a few notches as second and your children right under that as third. To put your spouse on the same rank with God is a dangerous thing. That's getting into what God would consider to be idol worship. And one of the Ten Commandments reminds us that thou shall have no other gods before me. I know some people are thinking, who in the world would put their spouse before God? But if you were to listen to some people speak, you would be surprised at how unknowingly some people rank God and their spouse as the same. My wife, Monique, and I, always laugh when we watch some of those romantic movies where in wedding scenes, they have these wedding vows that are really out there. In one of those movies, the bride told her husband, you are my light, my breath, the path I walk on. You are my life and I live my life to please you. Isn't that deep? 
are you willing to let someone have that kind of pull on you or that kind of dependence on you? Personally, it would scare me if a woman told me that I was her life and that she lives to please me. That means if I, in my human nature, were to ever disappoint her, that could be extremely tragic for her, especially if I was her wife. I am human, have made mistakes, disappointed my wife and others, and will even make more mistakes as I learn to navigate this world and the fragile emotion of love. That's just part of the human condition. In another movie, the groom told his bride, all you have to do each morning is just get up and I will take it from there. I have no idea what that means, but to be responsible for living someone else's life is an impossible goal. On the surface, what he said sounded good. It sounded romantic and loving, but to me, it's unrealistic. But then again, that's just the movies. Unfortunately, some people adopt such mentality in the real world. There are some wives who refuse to go to church because their husbands are not born again and don't believe in God, nor do they believe in the church. The husband may have complained and may have even demanded that she not go to church. And as much as that wife may be yearning to attend the church of her choice, because of her husband's stance, she sits home every Sabbath day. To me, that's putting your spouse before God. The Apostle Paul, who was never married, tried to get many people to somewhat think the way he did. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul told them it was good for a man not to marry. On the surface and based on that one sentence, it appears as if Paul is not advocating for marriage, but we must take the verse in context. When Paul made that statement, he was addressing a lot of concerns which the church at Corinth had at the time. One of them was the pressures of the Christian life in an immoral and hostile environment of that day. In fact, Paul ran on with this train of thought throughout chapter seven, when he said to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am, 1 Corinthians seven and eight. He then went on to address those who were virgins in verse 26, when he told them that because of the present circumstances, he advised them to remain as they were. All of this rambling makes me believe that Paul was not an advocate for marriage, yet he wrote much about the beauty of marriage in many of his writings. In fact, he was the one who wrote 1 Corinthians 13, what is commonly referred to as the love chapter. But Paul had a reason why he said what he did. Here's his reason for even su suggesting such a thing. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his intent interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35 Although, although Paul said 
that he wished everyone was like him. He knew that such a thing was not logical, attainable, nor even biblical. He simply wanted to point out the distractions that can take place in serving the Lord and trying to serve your family. The Apostle Paul said that for married Christians, their interests are divided. Anyone who has developed a deep hunger and desire for God and who has a family understands the pressures, the anxiety, and the pull it places on you as you try to go after God with your whole heart, but sometimes you have to stop your relentless pursuit in order to deal with the affairs of your marriage and family. It can become frustrating and exhausting, but we keep pushing ahead, trying to make the best of the situation because not only do we love the Lord, and want to please him, but we love and care about our spouse and children, and we want to make them happy. In the midst of such a tug of war for our attention, devotion, and love, I believe God provides the grace that is needed to help us meet our goals. There are some people who would rather put God on hold and please only their spouse. If your spouse demanded such actions of you, what would be your response? Do you remember Job in the Bible? when he was going through his trials. It was not long after his troubles started that his wife suggested that he curse God and die. Talk about the lack of moral support. Job told her that she was speaking as a foolish woman. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Job 2, 9 through 10. The book of Job is 42 chapters long, yet she spoke up early in chapter two for Job to get rid of all his troubles by dismissing God. She was noise and a distraction to Job, but he did not give in to that noise. I overheard an argument between a husband and a wife one time. Apparently, the husband was trying to force his wife's wife to stop going to church because he believed that all preachers were deceivers. He told his wife if she loved him, she would be willing to do what he was asking. The woman's response was one I never forgot. She told her husband, I love you, and there isn't much I wouldn't do for you to prove my love, but I'm not going to hell with you. I've heard a few preachers speaking at marriage conferences tell Christian wives who were having problems winning over their husbands to the faith that if their husbands love to get dressed and go to the nightclub, then they should get dressed and go with them. They said that it would show their husbands how much their wives support and love them. It's hard to believe that some women actually fell for this kind of thinking. It's even more difficult to believe that a preacher would spew such insane, silly ideology from the pulpits. I understand what they are trying to say, but a Christian wife going to the nightclub with her husband is not going to cause him to turn to the Lord. The Bible says that Christian wives are to live godly lives in front of their spouses and that will draw their husbands to Christ not going to the nightclub with them. Besides, if the wife is someone who had been delivered from the nightclub lifestyle, trust me, the worst thing that wife could do is find herself right back in the nightclub following her unsaved husband. She may claim to be a strong Christian, but after a few nights of that, hearing the sound of the music, smelling the alcohol, and hearing the conversations in the club, there is the possibility of her falling back into that lifestyle. I can hear people suggesting that I'm missing the point 
or the scripture where God told husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, people will be quick to point out that the scripture suggests total commitment to one's spouse. However, I never said we should not be committed to our spouses. I would not even dare to suggest that. All I am saying is that sometimes we can get so caught up in pleasing our spouses that we get distracted from spending time with God and seeking his face. In fact, I believe that one of the ways to be a better spouse to your significant other is to spend time with God. God is the one who established marriage. Love comes from him, and he understands your spouse better than you do. So if you were to spend more time with God, he could actually tell you how to love your spouse. This next section is subtitled, Train Up a Child in the Way He Should Go. We're on page 96. Our children can require more of our time than we have to give, especially from the time they're born until they reach their teenage years. For a lot of parents, children have become little idols whom they worship without even realizing. Women and mothers, because of their nurturing nature, tend to be guilty of this more than many men. For them, everything, everything, is about their children. I've even heard people say things like, my children mean everything to me and I will die for my kids. While this stance of protection and affection is commendable and probably even inevitable, the question is, are you going overboard? Of course, the majority of parents would answer no and may even dismiss me for even writing about this. They may even accuse me of hating kids. And that's far from the truth. I have two boys, Tavon and Trayden, whom I love very much and would do what I can to make sure that they get to live the kind of life God has promised them. However, I would not even consider putting my kids before God nor before my wife. I realize that God is the one who gave me my kids and therefore I'm responsible to him for them and responsible to follow his word in raising them. The Bible declares that sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Psalm 127.3. At the same time, I also realize that someday both my boys will grow up, leave the house, go out and get married and start a family of their own and it would be just my wife and I left together in the house. So if I ignore my wife to give all my focus, attention, and time to meet only the needs and wants of my kids, what happens when they leave and just my wife and I are left in the house? Do you think we will have a good relationship? We would be like strangers to each other because so much time was spent focusing only on the kids that we hardly communicated and spent time with each other. That sounds crazy, but it happens all the time where a wife would put her husband's needs on hold while she raised the kids. Some of us tend to do the same thing with God. We put God on hold while we raise and take care of our kids. God will understand, won't he? After all, like you said, God is the one who gave us these kids, and so he knows that we have to sacrifice and do everything we can to raise them, so he understands. 
But raising children can be a big distraction and can produce more noise than we may want to admit. It's not a bad noise, but if we want to be good parents, children will demand more of our time than anyone else or anything else. Imagine before you had kids, you would get up early in the morning, do your devotions, spend time before the Lord in prayer and study. Then along came that little one. He gets up at odd times in the night and early morning, crying for food, attention, or to be changed. And by six in the morning, you're just crawling back into bed to try and catch an hour's sleep before having to get up and head to work if you're not a stay-at-home mom or dad. This routine can go on for months. Fortunately, children grow up and so they grow out of that stage, but then they enter another stage where they have to be awakened, forced to get dressed for school and get something to eat before you even get dressed for work. Suddenly, six in the morning is not enough time to get all these things done. In the midst of the mad rush, you have unknowingly abandoned your early morning devotion time because there is so much to do. Like I said, these are necessary routines in our lives that demand our attention. Truly, I believe that the Lord understands this position. And I may be wrong, but I don't think he really holds it against us because he knows our hearts. But when we constantly put our time and relationship with God aside in order to raise our kids, deep down inside, we feel cheated because we miss that time of communion with him. We miss being quiet before him reading his word and hearing him speak and minister to us. We know what we're doing with the kids is necessary, but truth be told, we miss spending time with the father. The noise affects our spirit and makes us uncomfortable. Ironically, in these days in which we live, our kids will require even more of our time. With the advancement of technology and the easy access to television and internet and some of the bad things that that's contained therein, parents have to be even more diligent in the rearing of their children. Parents realize that they must interact more with their children in conversation to get an idea of what they're watching or listening to on the, on the internet and on television, to hear what's affecting them and to make sure that they stay on track. They have so many voices speaking to them on a daily basis and it makes parenting even more demanding and arduous. The Bible admonishes us to train up a child in a way, in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's the job God has given us as parents, and he expects us to give our children a godly foundation that would one day lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate goal of parenting. If we raise our kids to just be successful materially, financially, or socially, then we have missed the goal. But raising kids demand time and forces us into certain routines. As kids grow, we get entrenched into even more routines as they become involved in so many educational, sporting, and creative activities. Suddenly we become soccer moms and dads, chauffeur, chauffeurs for karate, music lessons for basketball, baseball, and track practices. A day that was once filled with time for things you needed to do has become a hectic, mad dash to get kids dressed, off to school, go to work, to the store, after school pickups and drop-offs, back to work, drive home from work, pick up kids, head home, prepare them a meal, 
clean up what you didn't get to before you left for work, put kids to bed, watch a little television before falling asleep as your favorite program begins. The next day, the routine is repeated all over again. Is there any time for God in this kind of hectic routine? Yet such a routine has become necessary. Weeks, months, and years go by, and you look up one day and realize that your kids are grown and headed to college, but you've missed so many precious moments with your Heavenly Father. In fact, you miss so much time just for yourself. And truth be told, it is the kind of sacrifice we as parents would make in a heartbeat over and over again. Is there some way in the midst of all this routine, all of this madness and all of this back and forth driving and running around, you can find time to spend with the Lord? For me, I always found time alone in the car was best. After I dropped off the kids off to school and I'm heading back home or to work, instead of having the radio blasting, I use those few quiet moments to pray and talk to the Lord. Let us not forget that in the midst of all of this, the enemy would use our children to try to get to us. Have you had those times when your kids act out for no reason at all? Suddenly, nothing can satisfy them. They make the most unrealistic request of you and they scream, shout, and rant and rave for no reason. It's the enemy trying to get to you by using your kids as pawns. Yes, sometimes it could be that the kids are tired, frustrated, annoyed, in pain, hungry, bored, or just being plain rude. But there are times when you just know that your child is acting unusual. The enemy is using your kids to distract you. When people say their lives are busy, trust me, as a working parent, I totally understand what they mean. Parenting can take everything out of you. Sometimes by the end of the day, you don't even have time for your spouse or yourself. Have you ever tried taking some time after a hectic routine day to sit and try to read and study the Bible? For many people, they may make it past five minutes before they are awakened by a noise and they realize that the Bible has fallen on the floor or in the chair and they've been asleep for the past hour or so. I know that for some people, they don't see what the big deal is. They are of the opinion that, hey, all of that is part of life and we are called to live life. Some people have even said to me that they go to church every Sunday, so they don't see why they have to sacrifice time through the week, sacrifice time with their kids or with their spouse to read the Bible and to pray. They're missing the point. Yeah, I know that a lot of people go to church thinking that they're doing God a favor by showing up, and many expect to receive some kind of brownie point for actually attending church on Sunday or Saturday morning. So they feel that anything beyond that is just plain insane. The point is we spend time with God, not for God's benefit, but it's for our benefit. It's for our spiritual growth, and it enhances our Christian walk. God doesn't need to read the Bible because he wrote it and he is not the one in need of prayer, we are. Just as we may need to spend time with God to better love our spouse, the same can be true of our children. As parents, we need wisdom, understanding and guidance to raise our kids, especially in this age. But 
we can only get the wisdom, understanding, and guidance by spending time with the Holy Spirit. But then again, what I am saying, and in fact, the whole idea of this book is not for Sunday morning Christians. No, Sunday morning Christians don't care about the noise in their lives. They just want to do their time on Sunday, go home and use the rest of the week to do what they want when they feel like it. They will find time for prayer when they find themselves in a jam. This book is for people serious about growing up spiritually. It's for people serious about seeking God with their whole hearts and who refuse to let the noise of the world and the noise and distractions of civilian affairs take them off course. For these people, nothing and no one else is more important than their time with their Heavenly Father. I want to leave this important piece of information with you to wrap up this chapter. As I mentioned earlier in this chapter, the devil will use your spouse or your children to distract you from some of your spiritual responsibilities, but that is not the only reason he does that. If you are a believer who is seeking the heart of God, the devil is intent on destroying your marriage, breaking up your family, and trying to kill your kids. The enemy has always been after the family. He hates godly marriage that produces godly offspring. This whole idea is a serious threat to his kingdom. He knows that the more true Christians who maintain loving, godly marriages and relationships and who raise children in the fear of God, the more threat that godly family will be to the destruction of what he is trying to do within the earth. These individuals will uplift the kingdom of God, which in turn will destroy the kingdom of darkness. While sometimes mankind may have forgotten the words God spoke in the Garden of Eden, particularly the words that pertain to the authority of man on the earth and the role the family would play in carrying out that authority, the devil has not forgotten those words. He knows the power of godly families, and so he is bent on destroying them. So be aware of when the enemy is moving in your family, not simply to distract you, but when you sense it is something more. You must fight back. You must be prepared to fight for your family. Well, folks, that is the end of chapter 10. Wow, there's a lot of great information in chapter 10. Next week, we will move on to chapter 11, which is titled The Power of Standing Still. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I look forward to you joining me next week. <laughs>